is Sober Reference. You're listening to A Sober Story, digestible conversations filled with evidence that you can do anything without picking up a drink. We share more cost-free resources on our website, www.soberreference.com, and hope you'll connect with us on social media. Search Sober Reference now and look for our logo. For more information about today's guest, visit our show notes. We hope you find this content valuable and leave feeling inspired to drink less, live more, and meet your potential. Enjoy. The things that I can relate to in people's stories with their relationship with alcohol is this idea that alcohol kind of helped them like to soothe their anxiety. You know, we have like fun little things when we're younger, but then when we're older and we're like allowed to drink or people around us are drinking and we have the opportunity to experience that. I know for me, it wasn't like this. I had my first drink and I felt like I'd arrived in the world, but like, I remember moments when I'd be maybe like two drinks in and I'd like look in the mirror and I'd be like, wow, I look so pretty today. I loved that feeling of just being able to see myself without the constant, like nagging voice or that layer of anxiety of what other people might think of me. And I think that there's so much of like my trying to control my drinking was because I just, I sought that feeling. So when you mentioned anxiety, I was like, oh, I wonder if that had anything to do with, you know, why drinking became kind of an issue for you or why you sought drinking. Can you tell me a little bit about like what a drink gave to you that kind of continued that relationship? Yeah. I mean, I think you described it really well is that like two or three drink marks are kind of like you feel almost like the version of yourself or the girl or the woman that you see that you want to be like like you're like okay I like her right you like that version of you not the 3 a.m riddled with anxiety version of you back now I never casually drank or like once my drinking became a problem there was always like this secretive element to it so like I knew that it would kind of quell these feelings of social anxiety so like for example if I knew I was going out with my friends for like a big night out me normally in my own skin would feel so like nervous and anxious and I just like think about every possible thing that could happen right once I have that couple of drinks, it starts like taking the edge off of that. So it like smooths out all these um, intrusive thoughts that I might have or the nagging voices saying something. And it just allowed me to just be. And the way I saw the world was that all these other people could just exist. And they were just like going about their life. They didn't struggle with the same things that I do. And it's like, it was such a revelation getting into a sobriety to realize like, Oh, lots of other people were self-medicating in the exact same way. I just had this perception. I like put people on a pedestal up here and I was like down there, you know, you know, I didn't drink when I was a teenager very much. There wasn't alcohol in my house growing up. I didn't grow up with alcoholic parents. They were quote unquote, normal drinkers, very seldom drinkers, actually. In high school, I dated this guy for a couple of years and we had planned to have this party at my house when my parents went out for a date one night. They weren't even like going out of town or anything. And we organized this party and I was not in the cool crowd at school or anything like that. My boyfriend, a little more so, he was like the bad boy, like he smoked and all that stuff, right? And um, we planned this party and it ended with my parents coming home 
and I'd had a few Mike's hard lemonades, which was like that and Smirnoff ice at the time, like in the nineties was like the thing to drink. And I got so sick from drinking that night and I got in so much crap from them. So drinking didn't become a problem for me until I became a single parent in my thirties. So it's kind of like a different story than some people. Yeah, that's, it's an important one to hear. Tell me a little bit about what happened in how your drinking progressed. I actually don't think I ever established myself as an adult. What, what happened was I desperately wanted to move out of home. As soon as I graduated high school, I applied to all these jobs. I got a job in a call center for a software company. And I did with these two girls from my office, like older than me kind of girls. And they introduced me to the world of going to the bar, right? It wasn't really an issue then because what happened was I met this guy that I worked with and he was British and I had some family over there on my grandma's side and he was here on a contract. And he said, why don't you come back to the UK and figure out what you want to do? And in that time, I got accepted to college for journalism, but within the first two weeks of journalism, realized that I hated that style of writing. I found it really like just the wrong pace for me. And it was really intrusive in some aspects to intrude on people's lives. So like dropped out of the program basically just showed up at my parents' house and was like, I'm moving to England. And they're like, okay. And my mom was devastated. She was so sad. It was her mom who was British. So she understood why I wanted to go there. I was like 20 when that happened. So I lived overseas for seven years. And then I came back to Canada. When we broke up, we had a house together and everything. We had to sell the house. And I kind of had a career in human resources and doing recruitment and stuff in that time. But I also went to night classes. Um, I did my undergrad in English literature. And I I still kind of felt like I was seeking something. And I was not good with money at all during that time. I racked up credit cards. I did contract work. I'd work a contract. It would finish. I'd have a bunch of money and we'd go traveling somewhere. And I kind of did that. We'd like go to Thailand or we'd go wherever. And when we broke up, I think that's when kind of things started going downhill. I'd moved back to Canada. This was in 2007. And I was just like lost. I didn't know who I was. I was 26, 27 at the time. I got another big girl job though with a IT consulting firm doing their recruitment and worked for them. And that ended after like a year and a half, just naturally. So I packed up everything and went to Australia for a couple months. (laughs) And then I came back to Canada and lived outside of Vancouver in Kelowna. And that's where I met the father of my daughter in like 2009, 2010. And that was when drinking and partying and all that stuff really took off. When you look back at your story, do you remember understanding, like knowing you had a problem or were you um, in denial or oblivious to the destruction that it either caused you or those around you? Um, And then how did you officially like make the conscious choice to stop drinking? I think I noticed some things starting to happen before I went on that trip to Australia. I started having blackouts when I was drinking, which I now understand. But at the time, I didn't know that that's what it was. I just thought I was really drunk. I'd put myself in these kind of dangerous situations. Like I would just like leave the bar with 
a group of people to go to like a party somewhere like and I would like ditch my friends or I'd just leave and go home and like ghost and not tell them where I was going and looking back that's when I started to get a little concerned once I left and went to Australia that continued all sorts of stuff happened on that trip it was really out of alignment with how I wanted to show up in the world I was being really sneaky about some things and like lying to people about who I was I wanted people to see me as that girl that you see when you're like two drinks in you're like that's me I've arrived I always wanted to be Carrie in Sex in the City like be that writer living in New York doing that thing right and I wasn't that's when I was concerned but it only got worse because when my daughter was born I became a single parent when she was like 10 months old And this was right around the time that the mommy wine culture was getting big. And so in like 2015, things were starting to take off with that. And I joined a mom's group locally and we would have play dates. And most of those revolved around some type of alcohol. And I was worried, but I had no idea who to talk to. My whole family was on the other side of the country. At this point, I was living outside of Toronto And that's where we lived for the last 10 years before her and I moved here in 2020. So that's when I started getting worried and I would like go and see my doctor and I would never be honest with them about how much I was drinking, but I would say, oh, I'm going through a rough patch. Like, I don't know. I'm not coping well with things. They, I was on and off antidepressants, which I now know I was depressed because of the drinking. My real problem was anxiety or my real sort of thing. Um, But at the time I was like, okay, well, I'll take Ciprolex for a while, or I'll take, you know, I was prescribed Ativan for some of the stuff that was happening. But what was actually happening was I had been drinking increasingly more. So I'd be getting withdrawal symptoms from trying to cut back every single time. So me, I would tell people in my life, oh, I had a panic attack and I ended up with the ER because of that. And it wasn't that. And I felt like a huge failure for not being able to keep up with my drinking and my life as a single parent. But there was no one really to talk to like these. I lived in a pretty affluent town in Ontario, and it was the average price of the home there is like one and a half million. And it's just like a very picturesque place, Lake Ontario, like it's just beautiful, right? And those women all had what I wanted. I was like, I want the husband and I want the the big house and this and that. But meanwhile, my house, it was reflective of my internal mental state because my house was just a disaster and stuff like that. So, well, what I relate to a lot is this idea that everybody else has something that we must be missing. You know, what I'm hearing from you and I guess how I experience it for myself is just feeling like maybe I'm missing like just a chromosome or like maybe like they read a book that I didn't read or something like that. Whereas like, I'm just assuming that life comes like more naturally to other people. And that created for me, the experience of feeling like totally separate from other people feeling like an alien. I'm also an empath. So I'm just like, yes, everything you're saying is, I, <laughs> right. and I'm just like, Oh, look at me, this little alien who feels everything. And like, everybody else is just happy. Like, how is that possible? So yeah. I thought, of course, like there's something wrong with me. And what I've realized in sobriety is 
Well, yeah, like I am an empath and I understand myself a lot better now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand also that whether people are empathic or not, it's everybody is a human and mm-hmm. nobody's life is perfect. So how did you find belonging in sobriety? Because when I'm thinking about getting sober, I'm thinking, okay, there's, especially being an empath, you're no longer just diving in and kind of going with the flow of what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. You can't necessarily like numb out the uncomfortable feelings or the overwhelm. You can't just like switch it off for a couple hours or a day or whatever by taking like alcohol as a medicine. So I would expect that it's, there's a journey to be becoming comfortable with yourself when you're sober mm-hmm. and then like a whole other thing to be come comfortable or feel a sense of belonging in some form of a community. Can you tell me a little bit about what's worked for you in mm-hmm. getting to that place? Well, first of all, I will say that I think I'm still on that journey. So I don't think I ever feel like I arrived anywhere, but it is the two parts. It's the belonging within yourself and to yourself and then belonging in a community. And I think I couldn't get sober on my own. I ended up getting sober somewhere called the Luckiest Club, TLC, and they're still around. I tried AA and I didn't find a meeting that worked for me. Bear in mind, it was like during the pandemic when I really got serious about it was during the pandemic. And all of these Zoom meetings started popping up for all sorts of things, right? So I was like, this is great. So I would go to these meetings and I'd keep my camera off and I wouldn't talk to anybody. And I would just sit and listen to people's stories and try and like see myself in their story, kind of like what you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation. And I had to learn to trust myself to be there and to be open to the experience of maybe there was a different way of living my life. And that involved being vulnerable and, you know, having humility and kind of letting my guard down in a place where I didn't know anyone. Like it's not in my comfort zone to put myself out there the way that I do now. But I I learned that because for me, I can't recover in secret because I'll just go back to how I was before maybe or worse or I just can't do that right for me my personal belonging is rooted in things like my routine I have boundaries around like what time I log off like go to bed not I'm working on my like logging off my phone kind of thing but I'm talking about like boundaries when my interaction with the outside world is done for the day I'm very precious about that because I could quite easily like burn the candle at both ends and be like committing to doing podcasts at 10 o'clock at night and and watching shows with my husband till midnight. You know, he's a night owl and I'm not right. But if I did that, I feel like I'd be really fragile in my, in my sobriety and in my like body because I have anxiety when my sleep and things like that are out of whack, I am more likely to reach for, unhealthy things to make myself feel better. So, you know, in the beginning, it was putting myself in a place to be open to that stuff and and getting curious about, you know, trying different things. I tried the AA, I tried multiple meetings. I was like, okay, maybe it's not this one. People said, try this one. I got 
so many books because uh, I'm a reader. I thought, you know, maybe there's a book that's going to help me. I tried every single book. I still have tons of books and I still love learning. That's a huge part of it for me now. But then I was, I was seeking like something to make it better. Right. And I realized I also always thought, or always referred to myself as that kind of nomad and the gypsy and stuff. And I love that idea. I realized at a certain point though, that I was running away from actually getting to know myself and liking myself and meeting my husband sort of prompted that little shift in my brain, which then was the precursor to me exploring sobriety. And and I kind of stumbled upon something. I think nowadays there's so many avenues out there. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic that people have these options, especially because the big alcohol and stuff is, is just ramps up their marketing every day, all the time. Like there's just so much pressure out there to, you can fit drinking into your, you know, sophisticated, successful lifestyle and you can have it all. And it's like, no, you need time where you're just with yourself. You need that to find your belonging. That sounds counterintuitive, but what I've heard in your share was that when you got more comfortable being like alone by yourself or when you got to know yourself better, you became more comfortable being with other people. My first thought around how do I get comfortable like in a group of other people is you just like dive headfirst in and you just, you know, vulnerable share everything and you just really go balls to the walls with being around other people. But what I'm hearing from you is, and no shock to me that like my first thought isn't like the right one. <laughs> that's, obviously that's what I've learned in sobriety is like, do not trust the first thought. Actually, <laughs> It's that like quieter, getting to know yourself, getting to like yourself that gives you the ability to not just to have the ability to be vulnerable with other people, but be comfortable being vulnerable with other people. So I know for me, I've had different experiences with vulnerability. One is where I share vulnerably. And then after I almost have this like vulnerability hangover where I feel really, really anxious, like, oh my gosh, something's coming to get me. Like Mm -hmm. I just did a bad thing. Yeah. And then I've had other experiences where I might share the exact same story. And I'm just like, so proud. I shared my truth today. And like, I think that like, maybe that would have helped someone, maybe not, but like, I'm just so comfortable in my own skin and my own energy that I can just sit in peace with my truth. Although it does sound counterintuitive. It's like, how do you start your journey of finding a place or a community of people where you belong you know, consider the possibility that it about, you know, getting comfortable with yourself as well. Would you have any other like specific tips or things that you tried mm-hmm. that help you feel comfortable around other people or in communities? Yeah. What I would suggest to people now is find like one person that you whether it's on, I have people that reach out to me through my DMs or whatever, and I'm like their one person for accountability, or they share the highs and lows, or they can't share with anyone in their life. And I would preface this by saying that I'm extremely, extremely lucky that my husband is very supportive. And a lot of people don't have that person. So I, I would really recommend like just reaching out to someone and say, Hey, like, I see your story here on Instagram. You really inspire me. 
I'd love to chat with you, or I just want to let you know that I'm trying to do my own work on my own sobriety. And maybe it's me that's really open to that, but I always, I love getting messages like that. For me, like mindfulness, like I do some meditation as well. Finding a practice like that, that maybe you haven't done before, um, is going to bring you more peace and more calm to show up in social situations where maybe things are a little triggering. But nowadays still too, though, if you need to leave somewhere or if something doesn't feel right in sobriety, you can trust that intuition a lot, you know, and I think you can just be like, okay, this isn't going to work for me. Find someone that you can reach out to. You have to speak up. I kept relapsing so many times because I just wouldn't share my truth with anybody. That doesn't mean necessarily doing the, you know, dumping of everything and the vulnerability hangover if that doesn't feel right, but it means you have to take a chance on opening up because there are good people in the world. There are people in this community who want to help you, who aren't going to judge you however long it takes you to know that your sobriety is it's like a pick and mix of things that work for you. So what works for me might not work for you. You might need an emotional support animal. You might be like, I'm getting a dog and this dog is going to be my, my thing for my sobriety. Those social situations, it very much depends also on where you're at with your sobriety, how open you want to be about things. Right. So finding little rituals or Mm -hmm. experiences you can have with yourself. When you said that, what came to mind for me, I've been on a really enjoyable yoga nidra kick lately. (laughs) For those who don't know yoga nidra, I mean, how I would explain it is it's kind of like a deep rest meditation where the ones that I follow, they have you follow your consciousness around different places of your body. So Mm -hmm. you're active and consciously aware the whole time, but your body and your emotions are, and your mind are getting a really like into a really restful state. So it's kind of like this alternative to meditation that I find I can really get involved in. And like, it feels so good. I love it. I love it. Um, And you know, that those moments are, you know, building relationship with yourself. So find something that you can do with yourself and then find, start with just one person Mm -hmm. who you can start to share some of your experiences with. You can start to. I think my recommendation for that is like someone that isn't directly in your day-to-day life. You know what I mean? And maybe even further to that, somebody that is in sobriety, if that, like, think about when you're a kid growing up, like if you wanted to be a doctor one day, you would be going to school and learning how to be a doctor, right? So like, how do you learn to be sober? You need to learn from people who are doing it. But that means like creating what works for you, taking a little bit of this person's thing, a little bit of that. I I have the Calm app and I do the 10 minute mindfulness every morning. Morning pages, Julia Cameron's The Artist Way has been really good for a lot of people that I know. And I do it sometimes. I do morning pages and meditation in community with other women, like four of us on Zoom, just like doing our thing, right? But if you can find someone outside of your daily life, because you don't want to feel like you're disappointing or letting somebody down if things like don't go the way you think they should. And there is still that element, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that there isn't a pressure in the sobriety community because people can look and see what I'm doing, for example, and be like, oh, she makes it look so easy. 
well, okay, but also you're not in my head all the time and you don't know the struggle I have on a daily basis with my imposter syndrome or my anxiety or what have you. So, yeah. I really like that advice. You know, I, I, I personally really enjoy hearing that because I've talked to a lot of people and, and some people, especially people with longer, longer term sobriety, like they talk about how, you know, they don't ever have thoughts about drinking anymore. Like their compulsion to drink is totally gone. And so I've, I've met people who say that after a couple of years, I've met people who have said that after 30 days. And if that's true, that's amazing, but that is not my experience. And I don't think that's the majority of people's experiences. So one of my main missions is to celebrate sobriety. And like, I want to share how good it is. I also, you know, try very hard to be honest and vulnerable and share my own experiences. Like, Hey, just last weekend, I was tempted to drink. And this is like how it felt for me because one thing that kept me relapsing or, you know, picking up again and again was feeling like I couldn't talk to someone about those moments because I thought in my head, I was like, Oh, that, that must mean I'm like doing something wrong. I felt punished for having those thoughts when now I know I can't control my first thought. And so having someone in sobriety specifically who I can call and be like, Oh, there's an open bar here. And I just like, needed to say that out loud to you just so you know like got it totally get it like uh-huh. ha 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 it helps it cuts it in half and um i do highly recommend as well like if you want to grow in a certain area find someone who who has found growth in that area ask people questions and and get curious i love all that I do all day is have conversations with people in different, some way, shape or form. That's what my business is about. That's what I don't teach people how to write. I shepherd them into a place where they can connect to themselves and bring that through into their writing, you know, and that's, that's that confidence that I only found in sobriety. To me, it's so far removed from the alcohol itself. It's like, if someone said, Oh, I I had three years. And then I just picked up, I'd be like, okay, but let's talk about like, you know, what was going on at that moment? Or let's like, forget about that. Don't beat yourself up over that one thing. You know, if you're on that mission of trying to seek for what is true to you and what feels authentic and right to you, then you're, you're going to have that first thought. I, I said to my husband on the weekend, I'm like, sometimes we'll still drive by somewhere, especially in the summer or whatever. Everybody's got that vibe going on and we drive by somewhere and there's a patio people. And I'm like, Oh, that looks good. And then I'm like, Oh, right. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I would never pull over and go in there. I can't control what my, my thoughts are coming in. Right. And part of doing cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff is that I, learned that these were like leaves on the stream, you know, floating by me. I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't fuse to those thoughts the way that I used to when I was in active addiction kind of thing. So yeah, he's like, really, you still think that I'm like, yeah, like I wish it pisses me off sometimes. So I can't be that person that just like has fun, but I know I was miserable for a lot of that. I, I was really miserable. So I remember that part too, but (laughs) thanks for listening to sober reference. We hope you found this content valuable and are leaving feeling inspired to drink less, live more and meet your potential. You can find more cost-free resources on our website, www.soberreference.com.
We hope that you'll connect with us on social media, search Sober Reference now, and look for our logo. Great job taking in sober positive content today. Until next time, this is Sober Reference, and we are so glad that you're here.